On this episode of The Bonus Years, Brooke tells us more about her transplant story. Let's go. Well, hey there, everybody. My name's Ben. And my name is Brooke. Don't know why I'm talking like this, but if you could see what I'm doing with my arms, you would say that is the Bonus Years Podcast. Yes, you would. (laughs) There's also a dinosaur between us. Gosh. Cut. Let's just start again. Nah, we don't got time for that. We're parents. Word. Just got the kids to sleep, and that means it's Bonus Years time. Yep. Or Downtown Abbey time. Or both. (laughs) Oh, are you telling me I get to watch it? Yes. Anyways, uh, we're really glad that you are hanging out with us today. Uh, This is kind of part two of Brooks. Is it kind of part two or is it part two? It is indeed part two of uh, the story of Brooks' liver transplant. Right? Yeah. We haven't even talked about a transplant yet in the story. Gave it away. Gave away the ending. Uh, But we're going to start with a... Conversation starter from, I almost said the bonus years, but... That's us. <laughs> the, from Best Self. From uh, Best Self. Which is an incredible company. Go check it out. Bestself.co. I don't know if they're .co. They're Best Self Co. Google it, people. Like, why am I having to give you URLs? Gosh. Oh gosh. You're so needy. But here's the question. You ready? I'm ready. What's the last thing you bought for under $50 that you love and use often? Hmm... I know mine. Oh, go ahead. I'll think. A laser measurer. Your la- your laser laser measurer for work. I mean, yeah. Well, you measured the kids the other day too. Super cool. Yeah, keep talking about that while I think. I'm not going to fill in the blanks for you. Was that your stomach? That was my stomach. I wonder if that got picked up. I hope it did. <laughs> I really hope it did. Turn it up, people. Um, let's see. Under fifty bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say probably my masks from Rothy's. Rothy masks. Yes. So I, I love their shoes because they're made out of recycled water bottles. That's cool. And they go in the machine, the, the machine wash. <laughs> they go in the washing machine. Um, and then I saw that they made masks and they're awesome because they cover your whole face, not your whole face, your, your nose and mouth face. really easily. But like you can, bubble. you can breathe in and it won't yeah. suck to your lips. So when I'm you- the only one who should suck to your lips. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Gosh, this is going to be a good one. Um, well, gosh, babe, your stomach is <laughs> I just screaming. ate pizza. <laughs> she was eating pizza and I was like, stop, this is going to be bad. And I was right. It was delicious. Oh my gosh. So let's get into this. Let's do it. Um, if you missed last episode, go listen because it goes over everything that kind of led us to this point, which is essentially Brooke started yeah, not feeling super great, got uh, diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. Doc said, take it easy. Brooke said, peace. I'm going back to school and putting on a crazy schedule. Um, and that is what leads us to this week's blog post, which kind of goes into depth of where things really kind of went off the rails for you, right? Yeah. So kind of set the scene. What was your day-to-day uh, life looking like at this point? So um, once I got back to college, mm-hmm. I went from, I had gone from basically couch couch potato bedridden at home to 12-hour rehearsal days and recording studio and singing in churches on the weekend. Uh, I was drinking about a gallon of water a day 
Um, and I like had the jug with me. So I was like very serious about drinking my water. But I just remember being still thirsty. And I was like, how can you drink this much water and still be thirsty? Yeah. Um, I, I started like not being able to catch my breath when mm-hmm. I was singing, which was very unusual for me. I mean, I was a trained, that's what I was studying in college, like vocal performance major. So when I couldn't catch my breath, I was like, that's weird. Um, and then I remember like rehearsing like in the big auditorium and walking off the stage multiple times throughout rehearsal to like go throw up and come back and then just pretend like nothing happened. It's crazy. How long between when you left and came back from Mississippi to school and when you essentially go to the doctor for the first time? Like, what is that span of time? Uh, don't like, you know, take this to my grave because we're, we're going back and doing some research, but I think it's around two weeks. Okay. So two weeks of 12 hour days, throwing up multiple times throughout the day, drinking hardly a gallon eating. of water, hardly eating, swelling up. I mean, you talk in the blog about, um, you know, having to buy shoes because your normal shoes wouldn't fit. I mean, it was pretty all inclusive of what, the way it was affecting your life. I mean, yeah. it was, was pretty much every aspect, but one thing. You mentioned that you didn't feel any pain. Yeah. Right? I really didn't. So wh- when did that change? Um, I had what I would say is a pain. A Not pain. like I started being in pain. One night I was sleeping and just ha- woke up in the night and had like a pain in my side, which happened to be the side where my liver resided. Um, and it was sharp and quick. And then it went away. And for whatever reason, some would say God, some would say intuition. Uh, I was like, I think I need to go to the doctor now. So that was the pain. So you, uh, middle of the night, mm-hmm. feel like you need to go to the doctor. What do you do? Um, well, my roommates um, had rehearsal the next day. So I called my like normal roommate during the school year who would lived in Chattanooga at the time, uh, 30 minutes away. I just gave so many details I didn't mean to. Um, and she came and got me and took me to the emergency room. She drove 30 minutes to come pick you up, take you to the emergency room. She did. She stayed there with you and everything? Uh, she stayed with me for a while. Yeah. I think I was like, you don't have to stay. It's the middle of the night. Right. But. So you get to the ER in what would be, I would consider a small rural yeah, southern town. Right. And... You'd never been in the hospital before, right? No. No experience with an ER, no experience with, you know, other than going to your, like, local physician, right? Correct. Or maybe an urgent care or whatever yeah. you call them, right? Never been hospitalized. Yeah. So you get there, they put the band on you, they do the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. they do testing. What did that all feel like? Um, I don't know what I was expecting when I got there. Like, because I wasn't, I still, again, wasn't in, like, excruciating pain, um, and so I don't know if I just was hoping they'd say like, hey, you need to take it easier or whatever. Um, so they, you know, wanted to do an IV and that freaked me out because I don't, I had never had one before. Um, and they did blood tests to check my liver function to see like how things were progressing, but they didn't have my medical records from Mississippi to compare them to. So, and you hadn't talked to your parents yet. No, it was the middle of the night, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. So, I don't want to call anybody until I know what's going on. And how old were you at this point again? 
just so everybody remembers. 20. 20, okay. 20. 20 years old, in the ER for the first time. Parents don't know. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I've got rehearsal in the morning. So, like, make this quick. Right. So. (laughs) Uh, And I I said in the blog, like, if, if everything I'm saying sounds completely irrational, like, well, you should have known something was going on and you should have listened to your body. Like, as an adult person now, yes, absolutely. And in that moment, right. I had no clue. Right. No clue. So you get these tests done and then you just kind of had to sit there, right? Yeah. And wait. Yeah, I was in the like a bed in the ER and waiting. And then I kind of noticed nurses and doctors kind of tiptoeing around me. Like, I mean, I know I was like a legal adult, but they still weren't treating me like they were treating me like they had the kid gloves on. Mm-hmm. They were like, so where are your parents again? And like, who's here? You know, and I was like, my parents are six hours away. So you have to tell me what's going on. And definitely wasn't as assertive as I am now. Right. Yeah. Or confident. And I didn't know anything about like how to advocate for myself as a patient. Yeah. So you were really on your own mm-hmm. and very much in the dark of what was actually going on. Yeah, very much. Um, when did when did the decision get made to contact your parents? And how did that happen? Uh, it was morning. Mm-hmm. I don't know how early in the morning. It felt early, like 6 a.m. Uh, and the doctor told me that they wanted to put me in ICU. And I was like, why? I'm like walking around talking, not in pain, just hooked up to an IV. And they're like, yeah, you need to be in the intensive care unit. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. Uh, so at that point, I was like, uh, I need, I need to call my director and let him know I'm not going to make so it to rehearsal. So your first call was to your director. Yeah. To let them know that you would not be at rehearsal today. Yeah. <laughs> but you were Sorry. probably assuming. I was, th- I was still thinking like I'll bounce back real quick. And then I called my parents. Crazy. Uh, and said, hey, um, so I went to the doctor in the middle of the night to the ER and now they're admitting me to ICU. You should probably come. How long did it take Barry to get there? Oh, I think he made the trip in. It's a six-hour drive, like six and a half. It's like a six-and-a-half-hour drive. I think he did it in like four. Yeah. And Barry does not drive fast. And my dad is not a fast driver. Anytime he tries to follow me anywhere, it's like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. I'm going the speed limit. Yeah. Um, So Barry gets there in four hours. I think it it was my dad. Was it not both your parents? I don't remember. I feel like because my sister was five years younger than me Mm -hmm. and was in school. Yeah. Or had to be cared for in some way like i feel like they didn't all come at once okay um and someone drove one of my parents we're gonna hash it all out we'll have to have patty come on soon and talk through. tell us all the facts yeah Yeah. because she'll help sort through some things i can't remember but um i just didn't even know what was going on and so that i think that was the weirdest part like i'm in the icu but i don't actually know what's going on with my liver numbers uh and if I even would have looked at the lab results, I wouldn't have known what that meant at that point. Totally. Um, so you're there. Your dad gets there. Now what? Um, I'm in the ICU. <laughs> right. So I'm I'm in the ICU, and um, people who I were in town that knew me started to visit me mm-hmm. um, to check in and. People were praying for me. I mean, we went to Christian college, so word got out quick. Like, Brooke's in the ICU. We should pray for her. Um, And I just thought, my liver's going to get better. Um, And the doctors just weren't seeing that. Yeah. Um, But again, I don't... If they explained it to me, which I'm sure they did to a degree. Again, it was a very rural hospital. 
Um, but I don't remember them explaining it to me in a way that I understood that how severe it was. Yeah. Um, weren't you also, um, very much, uh, like your body wasn't processing toxins. So you were, um, not in your right mind in a lot of ways. Correct. Yeah. Because I mean, I know later on you'll talk more about that, but like, I would say probably even at this point, because of how sick you were, your your body was functioning pretty normally as as anyone would see outwardly, but like inwardly, your body was just essentially filling up with toxins. Yeah, which so, uh, later makes sense when I learned that because it impaired my judgment and my right, brain. Right. To make decisions, and it was really deceiving, I think, for people around you too, because mm-hmm. you were not fully number one aware because of you know, your lack of medical training and experience, right. And being 20 and, you know, just not, not knowing. So, yeah. Um, so doctors are starting to get more concerned. Your dad's there now. I mean, you keep saying my dad, but I'm not sure. Okay. A parent was there. One of my grownups was there. One of your grownups were there and they're talking for the first time. They're starting to hear these words transplant. Yeah, and I think my parents heard the word transplant like behind closed doors with the doctors. I think they didn't really speak to me as they should have as a 20-year-old. Yeah. Um, and my parents were not in the frame of mind to like go there. Right. It, all this was so sudden still. Like we're still in like within like maybe four weeks of like the, uh, autoimmune hepatitis yeah. diagnosis. Right. Um, and so – I'm just, we, we started to have some, I, I remember specific family members and specific friends and coworkers of my parents that went, okay, they're not in their right mind. How can I practically help them without having to even ask what they need? I can do some research about really good transplant centers for them. Yeah. So when the time came, uh, which I'll talk about in the next blog, that I did need a transplant center, um, we just had people who loved us hand us a, a folder Full of like, here are the best ones. Yeah. They're close to your house. That's like, awesome. how, here's how to make the decision. It was awesome. Yeah. So you're sick. Your parents don't know what's going on fully. The doctors don't know what's going on fully. And you are in la la land in I a lot of ways. In complete la la land. So, uh, how do you, how do you, looking back now, like, what do you wish that you would have done differently in that time frame? What do you mm. wish you would have known now that you didn't know then? Well, when I look back, I don't think that anything I did or any choice that I made sent my liver into liver failure. Um, It was just my liver was sick. Yeah. And so whether I would have laid on the couch at home and gotten sicker or done it while I was trying to achieve my dream, I don't think that would have changed the outcome. Um, I think maybe if I were home with my parents and my family, they would have noticed sooner. Because I wouldn't have been out there right. on my own. Um, but I don't have any regrets about choices I made or what I did. I mean, as a grown-up, I look back and I'm like, I probably would have called my parents earlier when I yeah. got to the ER so they could have time to make a decision. Um, and I wouldn't have, would have called them before I called my music director, for sure. Like, Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, because knowing the amount of, now knowing the amount of damage that was already uh, done to your liver at that point. I mean, you, I mean, it was months probably of, of your liver deteriorating, you know, to the point of liver failure. You were probably in liver failure 
even at the beginning of your autoimmune uh, diagnosis. I well, mean, not really. from what we could see in lab results. Right, but they didn't. But they didn't do a biopsy or anything like that. So right. we knew it wasn't. Uh, from looking at labs, it probably looked like oh, her liver could regenerate if right. she does this. But yeah, I mean, to go from that point, you know, four weeks prior yeah. to where you're now in the in the ER uh, ICU yeah. at a another hospital, and they're basically like, "Ooh, no, we don't know what to do, and we got to get her somewhere mm-hmm. else." Essentially, it was where where you guys all landed. That's a pretty fast uh, process. Isn't that abnormal? Yeah, it's very fast yeah. and abnormal. And, you know, it's hard being in a, a small hospital like we, I was um, because it just felt like they didn't know what to do with me mm-hmm. and that they were just going to watch me die. It's kind of what it felt like. That's pretty scary. Yeah, it, that part was not cool. Yeah. You ask, um, I mean, that's kind of the the cliffhanger on this uh, blog post, but you kind of ask some questions below, and I think it would be great for us to ask you guys listening as well. Yeah, um, you would kind of want to run through these, and if you have answers to these, I mean, obviously jump on social media. You can uh, follow the bonus years on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, you can answer those questions there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of run through those yeah. questions. Yeah, and and I think my idea behind sharing questions like this is that. Uh, we want to always share people's stories here so that people can find hope in hard right. things. Um, but just hearing it doesn't actually like help us as much as processing it. Mm-hmm. So um, I ask people, what are you feeling as you hear the story? Like what, um, what resonates with you? What do you feel? And then what are you curious about? Um, what do you want more information about? Um, I think anytime we're listening to someone tell their story, it's great to be curious and to stay curious about Hey, what details do I want to know more about? It helps us be better listeners and more empathetic. Yeah. Um, and then what did you learn that surprised you or that you related to or that you connected with? Um, because, again, that helps us as human beings um, to go, oh, even though maybe I didn't have this experience, I connect with this or I relate with this emotion or this experience. It's um, good. I think it's always... Um the most, from my experience, the most knowledge that I've gained and healing that I've gained in my life has been by talking about experiences and things I've gone through. So, um, you know, if you're listening and, and maybe you've gone through something like this, or you've got, you know, a family member who's gone through something like this, um, you know, Brooke and I would love to talk to you. Um, or there's probably people in your life as well that would love to sit down and, and talk with you. You know, people, you guys should listen to each other because a lot of times we don't, we don't need you to answer the questions or have the right answers mm-hmm. or even say anything. A lot of times it's just an ear to listen and let, uh, let someone process. So be that person for somebody in your life. The more, you know, no. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. Um, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the bonus years podcast. Uh, we are really grateful that you would listen, that you would uh, subscribe, and that you rate this podcast. It means the world to us that you do that. Um, it's been, you know, two parts into a probably how many how many parts do you think this story is going to be? I started with four, but I'm thinking it's more like six. Yeah, because you haven't even gotten to the. I haven't the, got to the good stuff. The good yet. juicy stuff yet. Yeah. Ooh, juicy, gross. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it's not. I don't want to talk about that. 
Um, but it's going to be a, a journey and, you know, it's one of those things we don't really want to rush because it's, it's the point of this is to kind of go in depth. And so, uh, we're, we'll ride this wave as long as it's, uh, going and yep. we'll really interrupt it, I think, to bring you some other stories too. Breaking news. Yeah. yeah. Breaking news. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some interviews in here as well with some of Brooke's family. I think that'd be hilarious slash <laughs> really sad, emotional. Um, I get emotional thinking about some of these points in time and we haven't even gotten to the stuff that I was super involved with. I mean, yeah. I wasn't super involved in general, but, um, I was from a distance and I don't even think at this point I knew anything was going on. Yeah. Uh, Brooke and I were trying to talk about it cause I know I visited her in the hospital in Mississippi at some point, but this time frame doesn't work out cause I think I was already Not at in home Mississippi. or Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so long story short, this is part of that long story Yeah. made short. But we'll have all the facts straight if we ever write a book. Oh my we'll, gosh. We'll get there. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jeff Ekstrand uh, for helping make the podcast happen. And uh, Stephanie Donati, as always, for her incredible um, copywriting skills. Copywriting, editing. Editing, copywriting. What is the difference between, between copywriting and editing? Uh, I don't know the technical difference, oh. but... Copywriting a lot of times is writing copy for someone else. Oh, she's not doing that. Yeah, editing, editing is like taking. I mean, she could. She totally could. She knows she's her voice. definitely skilled. Um, but thank you to both of those human beings um, for helping us out and making this happen every single time. You guys rock. Um, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for uh, tuning in. See you next time. See you next time. Okay, so long. Toodaloo. Adios. That's all, folks. I'm done now.